This week's episode of Meet the Brave is sponsored by Casey's Barbecue. Casey's Barbecue of Berkeley, California is proud to announce that they'll be back in full effect. Some of our local listeners know that Casey's was closed down after a kitchen fire destroyed over 75% of its old location. But with the help of the community that it's been serving for over 50 years, they're proud to announce that they'll be back. New location, new address is 1235 San Pablo Avenue in Berkeley, California. That's 1235 San Pablo Avenue in Berkeley, California. Follow them on Instagram at Casey's Barbecue. But for now, let's get into it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We're doing this live from um, L.A. I'm actually sitting on our balcony of our Airbnb. Um, shout out to our host, man, David, um, and his wife and his and his, and his uh, daughter. This has been incredible. Um, my first time performing in L.A. Uh, well, I mean, we did Nam, but that were, to me that wasn't L.A. I know people were calling it L.A. and I mean, I know, know the Nam convention is in. Anaheim, but the club they had us out was like super tucked off hella far, so it didn't necessarily feel like LA to me. But um, this was um, right in uh, still, I guess it's Silver Lake or whatever, and I, I'm still not familiar with how this shit, this LA shit falls, and what what they can what we consider to be LA County and all. I don't know, man. It's just it's mad confusing. <laughs> so I'll let I'll let you LA folks correct me and whether I can call this an, an LA show or not. But it was it was incredible. Um, really want to send a major shout out to my brother Kev Choice. Um, means a lot to to have people on the scene that you're from that you can look up to in terms of you know not just their genius, um, but there's a there's a business and like networking element to it of how you treat people. And what's attached to like your reputation in different in different scenes and being able to pull things off and having enough um, having enough like cachet or whatever to be able to bring people along. And, you know, with Kev, he's so tapped in. He's so respected um, musically that he could bring whoever he want with him. And he just, you know, said, you know, he, he looked out and he didn't have to. Um, and it's crazy how we get into that role. We're like, yo, they don't have to. <laughs> because so many people don't, you know, really reach back and like use, you know, use their uh, ability to be advocates in real time because it's just hard. And for the people that don't, it's not a knock on them because they're, you know, the this industry has a really, really, really uh, odd way of like m- making you extremely callous and um, and bitter. And so you got to really, really fight to ha- to hold on to like your optimism and um and in in your in how bad you want to be an advocate too like the whole goal is to is to really be like um to really be like uh like like Bron and um and and hove and and have like agencies while you're one of the leading like you know the 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 arguably the best the best athlete and and arguably one of the more popular rappers in real time and be putting people on and and just opening up your network in real time and like that's the goal for me at least i know that isn't um how a lot of people think but there's just way more strength in numbers and when you can say hey um you know use use whatever leverage you're building in real time to bring more incredible people right behind you it only sort of solidifies your legacy in my um in my estimation and so striving to do that having someone else do it for me really really means a lot because i know what's writing on it it's um it's your own reputation it's your own production most times and you want to make sure that it's of a certain quality so to kev thank you man i know what goes into that i know it isn't the easiest thing it isn't the easiest sell and so um, i really appreciate you and getting us a shot man it was a great show shout out to mike reed on the drums kate lamont on the keys for making a trip uh flow thank you brother always and we you know we're just continuing to rock 
as you know, fresh off of off of Canada, we're, we're home for literally was only home for a few days and came down to L.A. Um, and and didn't want uh, again, didn't want the podcast to suffer and not get one out. It's actually starting to miss as I'm sitting here, uh, but I need to get this monologue out. Um, today, uh, do I need is there anything else I should catch everyone else on? Oh, damn. Podcast listeners will hear it first. We weren't going to do a home show this run but we could we it just didn't feel right um so you guys are getting it first like literally there isn't even a poster flyer and the show hasn't been announced by anything or anyone yet so podcast listeners will get it first um if who you guys listening to me if you dm me i will make sure you get a free record um and letting me know that you heard about our show june 15th friday june 15th san francisco brick and mortar um it'll be us and black black milk uh and and if you can't hear my excitement like um shit dude just just i can't wait for people to come experience this like it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy like to play to just to rock with black milk but to do it at home it means a lot and to really really represent like what extremely high quality music should look and feel like you feel me and so come out friday june 15th brick and mortar to san francisco california and whoever um dms me and and lets me know that they heard about the show via the podcast and you plan on coming i will make sure you get a free copy of the rock record and also our limited edition pins done by our homie ethan matrel so Tap in um, Instagram, FR33MANI. Stop bugging me about changing the name. Whatever. But I'm glad we got all that out of the way um, because I really, really am geeked about this episode. It's been, it's, but we've been kind of all over the place, but this whole, this whole leg of like moving around got kicked off. We're just going to, um, I had some work to do in Denver with an artist that all fell through. But in the time that I was there, I really got to hang out with my cousin. And her family, um, and her husband, and my cousin, Zena Davis, her husband is a linebacker for the Denver Broncos. And his story is incredible because um, of just how political sports is, even down to as early as high school. And I don't, and, and if you're not, um, if you didn't grow up in the sports world, I think that might be a little hard for you to understand. It's like, well, how is it political with kids? And trust me, um, it isn't always like a lot of things are, it isn't always predicated on how like talented you are, how gifted you are. A lot of it has to do with, um, what area you come from, um, how populated it is how many people out of that area came before you, um, access, um, your, your, your class status, all it has a lot. There's a lot of different variables that play into getting to the next level in collegiate sports, whether it be soccer, whether it be baseball, whether it be basketball, whether it be football, like all this shit matters. Um, and, and Todd's story is fascinating because of how highly ranked in the state of California he was going through his, um, sophomore, junior, and senior season in high school. But because he wasn't recruited by by major D1s, he ended up at a mid-major, Sac State, and still performed as one of the top players in the country. But because he was at a mid-major, still wasn't sought after and wasn't invited to the combine, like all kind of crazy stuff. And then, and, and I've seen, and I've, because I because I grew up an athlete too, I've been next to some of the most like in my estimation world class athletes. And you're talking to someone who watches an avid sports fan since the time I could really really process information. Like like and I know a lot of my homies were too young to really understand the Michael Jordan era, but I was in it, and so it gets really tough for me to really consider anyone the best. Because I remember watching MJ and thinking like, "Yo, Brad's never gonna miss a shot." And then having similar feelings about like a Shaq's domination and, and alongside Kobe, and like 
watching LeBron, but that's all like mainstream stuff. I'm talking like at home, some of the most phenomenal athletes, but because they didn't have the access and they didn't have someone advocating for them on the next level, um, it really, really made it hard for them to break through when they were they were of NBA talent. Um, and I and and I could be I could be wrong. Maybe I'm just not a really good judge of talent, but I would like to think that I am. And so when you real when you get to see when you get to see firsthand how sort of um, privilege and access play a really big role in making it, there's you know it's either you got to be so great where they can't deny you. Or you gotta be you gotta be halfway decent and have all the contacts in the world. But if you're in that middle ground where you're like great, but I don't have any contacts, but you're not that just like generational talent, it's so hard for you to break through. Um, and Todd's story is so moving because uh, he and my cousin got together while I was away at school, um, so I really didn't get to you know I really didn't get to to bond and and, and build with him the way the rest of the family did so it's like recently new like learning about him and getting you know and and, and building and just blown away by bruh's like his mindset his goals and what he sees for himself beyond just football but how what he how his bigger picture and like his his goals his legacy we talked a lot about legacy but how much that sort of drives and fuels his focus on the field and his understanding of his wife's sacrifice and his kid's sacrifice. It may, he makes for like the most extraordinary man in the world in my estimation. Uh, and he just celebrated his birthday. So happy birthday champ. And for the world, enjoy this episode. Me, Todd Davis. And this is live from a hotel in Dallas because we were hella on one that weekend and just, just ended up in different places. So we did this interview um, from downtown Dallas in the, uh, in the Westin Hotel. So enjoy. This is, uh, we are in, how the hell do we even end up in Dallas, by the way? <laughs> Shoot, it seemed like a blur. <laughs> we we had say was talking about that last night. Like we <laughs> can't believe we, they here, we here. You mm-hmm. feel me? Nah, but thanks for being on the show, cause uh, we're sitting down with Todd Davis today, um, NFL linebacker, Denver Broncos, and uh, I we talked briefly about the premise of the show and gave him a brief rundown. But what we do is we, you know, meet the brave. Is all about highlighting parallels, industry to industry, successful people to successful people, and and just going through journey and trajectory, and you know, and work work our way up to modern day, and then you know, future goals. And I have you know, because of our conversations like yesterday, you you got some big shit in the works, you know. So it's it's just nice to share uh, aspirational people's thoughts and 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 their dedication and their focus. So help me out, man. What's go, what's going on? Talk to me. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> season season time. You you ready? How you feel? Yeah, I feel good. Um, yeah. Definitely working hard. Uh, excited for this year. Uh, yeah. I know it's gonna be a big year. Um, battled a little bit of injury yeah. last year, but yeah. I'm solid. I'm ready to rock. What um before you before we jump into it, start going back. Talk about that part of it. What the uh, the the mental toll that uh that the inj- injuries play. You know, and just getting and just working through a season. Uh, mentally, I know a lot of people focus on the physical part of it, but the the mental aspect has to be pretty intense too. Yeah, um, you know it's tough. A lot of people don't realize that uh, the game is like eighty percent men- exactly. mental. You know what I mean? Uh, the physical part will come, but um, you know you got to learn your plays. You got to study film. Um, you know, Zena, she'll tell you a lot of the times I'm really not there mm-hmm. mentally yeah. for her or the kids during the season because. Yeah. As soon as I come home, I have to study even more. I'm at uh, the facility for uh, 10 hours out the day, and the first thing I do when I get home is I study Study some more. Yeah, so um, it's definitely a mental toll um, going through the whole season, but uh, it's definitely worth it. But go go back, though. Talk about that. that You said that 80% mental. And the the part that bothers me the most, um, and this is just solely as a fan, when the the narrative that – 
athletes may not be as bright or intelligent. And I don't for just watching the game, especially I go and correct me if I'm wrong, quarterbacks, running backs, linebackers, um, in the secondary. Some of the reads that y'all do on the fly, I, I wish there was a way to quantify that level of intelligence because it's 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 chess essentially. It's exactly. chess, excuse me. Um is exactly is what it seems like to me. Is that is that wrong? And is there a position I'm missing in terms of read in terms of reads? No, that's a that's a hundred percent right. Um it's tough. I wouldn't say uh there was anything like it. Yeah. Um you have to make, you know, split decisions, you know, with a millimeter of a second or you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's such a short amount of time. Yeah. Um it's tough. And then when you're going into a game, if you're a quarterback or a linebacker, um, you know, they call him the quarterback of the defense. Yeah. I not only have to get myself ready, but I got to get everybody, everybody else around exactly. me. If I don't tell them what their job is or what they have to do, um, then we're lost on the play. Yeah. Um, and then going into the game, I might have 50 plays that I have to know <laughs> at any split second. And within that play, um, because of what they're lined up in or because of any emotions or because of a shift, the whole scheme could change. Damn. And I have to be ready to adjust like that and get everybody else adjusted. And, um, you know, it's definitely mental. There's a lot yeah. of guys out there with talent yeah. um, that don't make it in the that NFL. That can't zero in on that fo- the mental part of it. Exactly, yeah. because um, if you know the playbook, you'll play before somebody who has the talent yeah. because it's so much mental. And then, and then there's another element in there where you talk about getting the rest of the guys ready. But in, in ter- in, to be able to get them ready, they got to respect you enough to follow you. So a leader of – there's a leader of men in, like, the corporate world but it's another thing to be a leader of men as some football. That's alpha dog after alpha dog <laughs> after alpha dog. What's that like? Yeah, um, it's tough. It definitely – you definitely don't get it when you step on the field. You yeah. have to earn it. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't say I fully earned it until this year. Hmm. Um, the last two years have been great, and I've had a lot of great leadership. Um, and I feel like a lot of guys have followed me, but I think this year was has changed completely to where I'm 100%. I'm in the position I want to be and 100% uh, one of the leaders on the team. But like I said, it's just earned, man. Um, like you said, they're dogs. Yeah. So, you know, it takes a lot for a a, uh, a four-time pro bowler with a 100 M's in the bank yeah. to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to listen. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm going to listen to somebody yeah. else. Um, but just it's learned, man. Yeah. I mean, it's it's earned. Yeah. What um, And I think last thing before we go get back to the, to your to your journey is uh, what do you think – what if you if you had to be honest? What would you say changed that? that was it? Is it just being consistent? Is it uh, your dedication? Is it like? Is it? Because yeah, I'm I'm sure to everyone else it's clear um, how dedicated you are. But it, did it take the the guys a while to figure that out? Or what, what? What would you say? Finally, made it to where they're like, we gonna follow this guy. Um, I think it was two things. Mm-hmm. One, I think it was. Uh, Dedication. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I worked hard, uh, nonstop, and I think people see that. I think people want to follow somebody um, that shows you instead of maybe says, you know what I mean, yeah. says they're going to do something, they actually go and do it. Yeah. Um, I definitely worked hard, and I think they saw that I wasn't 100% last year mm. at times, and I wasn't going to be pulled off the field. Exactly. Um, there really wasn't anything you can do to get me on the field. If I could limp on the field, <laughs> I was going to be on the field. <laughs> Um, that was one thing. And the other thing I would say was my new contract. Yeah. I think when, um, you know, the head coach, the GM, upper management kind of gives you the nod, like, we want you to be the guy. Yeah. I think that kind of lets everybody in the building know, okay, you're the guy. You know what I mean? So I feel like those are the two big things that kind of propelled me up into uh, this leadership role that I'm in right now. Yeah. And then injury, what what was it? Because it never, you, at least you never let on outside of, you know, outside of, the 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 fam what was what you were plagued by but can you talk about that yeah so i had a uh a pretty bad ankle injury my shoulder was kind of messed up but that's nothing but i messed up my ankle i actually missed two games for it Mm -hmm. um and normally the the injury that i had was like a four a four game uh i would miss four games for it but i i came back in two Mm -hmm. and uh, it was just never healthy it was never healthy the rest of the season yeah um, I'd be limping off every time we ran off the field. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to be there. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be there for my team. I actually won an award for um, fighting through the injury. It's an Ed Block Courage Award. Wow. Yeah, so it's given to the player that uh, 
is a great teammate, a great leader, mm-hmm. and uh, really resembles uh, courage on their team. And I actually won that award last year. I think just for fighting through that injury yeah. and making it through that. Was it uh, is that by the coaches or is that by the team? The, the team chooses. Oh wow! See that's see that's a different element. Like it 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 is dope for the GM, the the you know the 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 CEOs, like everybody to acknowledge you, but the respect of your peers, man. I feel like in ter- in terms of like making a wave, because I feel like the coaches respond to how your teammates respond to you. Is that is that false at all you think no i feel like it's it's two two ways uh coaches operate uh-huh. there's one coach that anoints his leaders because these are the guys that this he is feels, guy yeah. you know what i mean yeah. but there's also another coach and i feel like it's the way coach vance is that um whoever the team dubs his leader is who he exactly. dubs his leader you know what yeah. i mean whoever everybody else um, is really following and really uh, listens to mm-hmm. is who he feels like should be the leader. Yeah. Um, and he's not going to point out a guy just because he feels he's the guy. If, if people don't follow him, if he's not a great example, if he's not giving a hundred percent, there's no reason to dub him. You know what I mean? Yeah. A leader. That's a that's a and that's that make that creates for a weird dynamic when the coach comes in like this is my guy and tries to force his guy on everyone. Mm-hmm. And I'm always fascinated by those coaches that try to assert that amount of because it is ego at the end of the day. I don't give a fuck what nobody says. It's ego. Mm-hmm. But the coach that is aware enough to sit back and kind of see like who who is everyone kind of just taking their cues from. Those seem to be the teams and the groups that have a lot more success when. The coach is really vibing off of his guys, and the guy. It may, I think it makes the guys more inclined um, to buy in to whatever system it is they're trying to sell. Because every, I feel like every coach is selling a system, and you got to get your guys to buy in. And in order to get them to buy in, you got to show them that you, at the very least, respect their ability to to make to make decisions or I don't know. It's, it's a weird, it's a sort of weird give and take, but, and I'm sure we'll get back there, but start, take me back to the beginning, bro. Where are you, where are you, uh, where are you from? Where's the family from? Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm asking because I think when, and, and just to preface it, uh, you and my cousin are married, which is incredible. Yeah. yeah. But the, uh, I was thinking about it yesterday I missed the whole beginning stages of y'all, like all of it. So to, I'm gonna learn a lot right now. So take me back, <laughs> take me back to the beginning, bro. Where do, where does it? Where your parents come from? Okay, so um, my mom's from Ohio. Wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. Born and raised Columbus. Okay. Uh, my dad's an LA native. Is he? Okay. Never left the city. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, my my mom moved out here to um, be with one of my uh, my play my play grandparents i guess you would uh, call it uh. and i uh, met my dad at church one day and uh changed his life stopped he stopped sending <laughs> <laughs> and um then the rest of history from there um i grew up in inglewood mm-hmm. california um then i moved to uh palmdale california for like uh my last year of middle school and yeah. in high school tell me also inglewood what uh so or what early 90s Yep. What was what was what was Inglewood like then? Do you remember how much of it do you remember? Um, I remember a good amount of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was fun for me. Um, I was protected, so my grandparents had like a a mega church. Okay. So, um, I was protected. I really wasn't into too much. Um, you know, if we were doing anything, we were at the church. Yeah. Um, I mean, we probably had he probably had like. 2,000, 2,500 members. Wow. Yeah, mega, like that's a, mega church for real. Like a mega, mega church. Yeah. Um, used to tour the country and mm-hmm. um, and all that. So I was really protected. Grew up right down the street from uh, Inglewood High. Mm-hmm. We lived in apartments like maybe two blocks from Inglewood High. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought I was going to go there my whole life. Yeah. But ended up moving to Palmdale. Um, and Palmdale's the desert. A hundred percent the desert. But uh, good schools. Uh you know, cheaper cost of living. Yeah. So I guess it all worked out. But you said something that uh, is uh, is really sort of synonymous with with L.A. culture in general. Um, protected. I hear a lot of my homies from there. They'll either say, "Yeah, I was protected," or "I was fully in the shit." You know, and and is I for someone who doesn't know? Um, can you talk about? how prevalent gang culture is and how easy it is just to get swooped up in that 
and and it's just just for the sake of highlighting how important being protected was you know yeah um it's real um i think you have choices i think that's part of the reason why uh, my parents decided to move as it is got you i mean by the time you get to sixth grade you already have choices yeah, like yeah. you gonna you gonna be this or you're gonna be that <laughs> exactly. and you gotta you gotta choose now absolutely um because everybody else is making that choice and if you don't choose you're gonna you're gonna find yourself in the uh in a uh, predicament you don't want to be in exactly and uh for me i mean i had choices but my family is kind of one-sided so i didn't really have too much of a choice <laughs> this is what it's gonna be it, yeah, yeah it yeah. is what it is yeah. um but i'm glad i moved i think it was best for me to get out of that situation yeah um you know a lot of my friends are still down there and i mean i think everybody who's not from the hood wants to be from the hood yeah, and vice versa yeah. exactly. exactly and everybody from the hood would much rather not be there yeah um i think a lot of people don't understand um what it really is to to be from the hood or yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. They just don't get it. And then what um you said Pops is is born and raised um can can you can you do you care to share like any you have any stories from like him cuz is he from Inglewood too? No, nah, he's from uh <laughs> he's from uh he's from Hoover. Hoover, okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. so uh my dad's side of the family from Hoover. Yeah. Um I, my uncles started Hoover back in the wow. Okay, yeah. see that that that's a whole other element of it too. Where, you know, when it's when it's almost when it's like some some heritage shit almost like that 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 means something completely different than exactly. just sort of stumbling into it. It's like oh, you know, it's just almost like a rite of passage in this in this odd ass way. Yeah. Um, and then so Palmdale in middle school was it a any culture shock going to Palmdale? You think? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Going from being maybe two or three white kids in my class <laughs> to two or three black kids in my <laughs> class, <laughs> uh, but it was fun. I yeah. mean, I mean, I think it was for the best. Yeah, yeah. I think I learned a lot. Yeah, uh, but it was definitely a culture shock, just a different um, way of doing things. I remember when I first got there, I used to sell. Um, when I when I lived in Inglewood, one of my, one of my things to make money is I would sell like snacks at the school because uh-huh. that was right at the time where they were taking all the stuff out the vending machine. Exactly. So when I got the palm down and started doing that, the kids were going crazy. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> they had, you that, had the trap booming <laughs> at the school. <laughs> going crazy. You used to have all the popsicles, candy, all that. But what, um, what it, what, uh, that's, fun, that's fascinating. What, what, uh, what even enticed you to want to just hustle on that level? Do you remember? You know what? I just, Saw opportunity, I guess. Really, it was my aunt. Because uh-huh. they were taking all the stuff out of the uh, vending machines, and you couldn't really find junk food at school. And so um, my aunt was just, we were just talking one day, and she's like, why don't you just sell, sell candy at the school? I like, mean, oh, I'm on it. <laughs> heck yeah. And she used to, so she used to buy it for me. I used to go to school, sell it, get mm-hmm. from her profit. Sound like drugs, but. <laughs> but it was really like, it was fun. And I yeah. used to. I used to be able to buy like clothes, shoes, all the stuff I wanted Damn. with that little extra cash. That's what's up, man. Yeah. And then how how uh how early does football become a thing for you? Well, I think it was like sixth grade. Okay. So I was play I always played basketball. Oh, okay. Who, so who? my dad always played basketball. Yeah. Um tough thing for him. He wanted to, you know, play basketball in the league, but he was so smart, he graduated high school at fifteen. Pops did? Yeah. Wow. Graduated high school at fifteen, so then he didn't have an opportunity. You know what I mean? He yeah, was too yeah, young yeah, to yeah. really do what he wanted to do. So he started uh, coaching me in basketball. I started playing basketball when I was, when I was three. Mm-hmm. He was my coach. Um, and I played that most of my life. And then I just started gaining weight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I was gaining too much weight. So yeah. that's when I made the transition to football in like sixth grade. Okay. Yeah. And then um, was it like instant love, first sight? Did you, did you What position did you play immediately? Do you remember? Yeah, I think I played like D line. Okay. D line online because I was big. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I loved it just because I was physically bigger. So I, you know, it just <laughs> because it was dominant. I was dominant from the start. Yeah. So, you know, anything you good at, you tend to love. So yeah. It was and cool. Sixth grade. And then what, uh, sixth grade in Palmdale, uh, what, and pop culture wise, I'm trying to just, because, you know, I, it, the, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit before computers. Or no, I mean, I feel computers are out, but in terms of how we use them now, things are still sort of regional, you know, like if you're from this area, you know about it and chances are 
even someone in the Bay or for sh- damn sure New York and vice versa don't really have a clue about what's going on. So sixth grade, uh, what was what was the what was the thing pop culture wise? You remember? Dang, um, that was a minute ago. <laughs> um, let me think. I know, was it seventh grade? Maybe seventh grade was when I feel like for me. Um, dang, I don't know, man. That's a tough question. Trying to think back, because what do you you uh when when you when were you born? Ninety two. Ninety two. Okay, so I am older. So sixth grade for me was like the start of Nelly and all that shit. And okay. It was like this is this is this is dope. You yeah. Know? But it was it, again, it was a little bit before like we're using AIM and AOL Messenger and all that stuff. But it it in comparison to how it is now, where there is no regional lines at all, mm-hmm. there was still like these specific things that were yours for a little bit until they broke and vice versa. Um and so I'm I, I don't I, I ask that for my own personal shit. It's not even for a thing that's consistent on the show. I just ask people because it's I just I'm fascinated by it. I I think Palmdale's the desert and I think uh <laughs> a little isolation in a way. Exactly. Yeah. So if something was popping, LA would get it first and then we would it'd get trickle it. down. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know if we really had any ambition to start anything. <laughs> get the leftovers man and so and then what was what was school like for you uh student wise i know Zena, uh, my cousin she always she what one of the first things she talked about was like uh you know you just because there is the student na- athlete narrative but she's like nah he he different bro smart and tay would say the same thing too and then ariana would say the same thing so it's <laughs> like what was what was what was uh school like for you um I'd, I'd say when I first got to Palmdale School wasn't what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first got there, so sixth grade year or seventh grade year, um, I was in school, and then I uh, actually got in a fight mm-hmm. at my school. So my mom chose to take me out of that school. Mm-hmm. Went to another high school for the beginning of my eighth grade year. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a little situation and mm-hmm. had to leave that school, uh-huh. and then finished out my eighth grade year. At another school, so three years within like Damn. three schools within one year. Damn. Um, and I wasn't like I didn't try in school. Um, you know, I thought it was cool to not do your homework, yeah, not yeah, yeah. do this and that. Yeah. Um, but the, but luckily the school that I went to was like a um a little private school, mm-hmm. and um all the kids that were popular in my school uh were the smart one. What happened to be? The same kids going up there getting like honor roll yeah, and dean's yeah, list, yeah, yeah. Uh, even though they were the best on the football team with me or like play basketball and all star players, they would yeah. go up there and get those awards. And I'd yeah. be like sitting on the side, like man, I want an award too. Yeah. I don't want to just be sitting on the side. <laughs> like then it then it became because of that school, it became uncool to be not do your not do your work yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then after that, after like my eighth year year going into high school, I think I turned everything around. Yeah. Uh, I think I ended high school with like a three point seven GPA. Damn man. So I just I don't know. I didn't want to be uncool and not do my homework. No, that's that shit's important and it's rarely talked about. Like the connection um, for you know for just being for at the very least being smart enough to do your work. And I had a similar experience uh, up until like fourth fifth grade I just thought homework was for the birds like I didn't at all like at all had no interest in it and my best friend you know in terms of being the best athletes in the school he and I were like neck and neck but he was he you know he got the the edge because he was straight a student Mm -hmm. it's like but he made that shit look cool like it was I was fascinated by that and then from that day on it was kind of like okay like you can do both and I've never forgotten that and I told him at his uh at his wedding it's like bro you saved my life you, mm-hmm. you feel me in a sense of like I I literally still could have been buying into that bullshit narrative like yo yeah. like this shit is whack you know yeah so that's dope but I'm glad I'm glad someone else had a similar experience yeah because I mean I was even in like you remember gate the program mm-hmm. so I test in and I would be in gate yeah and then I would just not do my homework, exactly. even though I was in the gifted classes. Yeah. Like I still, you know what it I mean? Did, it didn't register. I did the same thing. I tested in and just got there and still wasn't doing homework. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't fly. That You can't not do your homework. Here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So then um, you, you said you finished high school with 3.7. Um, 
talk but talk about the on the field stuff what had had it had line had you had you settled in the linebacker by then or were you still playing other positions um i was actually when i got to high school uh freshman and sophomore year i was like a d lineman okay and um i was actually doing really good i think my sophomore year i had like uh 14 sacks mm-hmm. as a sophomore mm-hmm. and i was actually uh the sixth ranked uh D lineman in California. Oh wow. Yeah. Wow. And so, um, but I was projected to grow. I was projected to you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then once I didn't, um, I didn't get the same looks I was getting my sophomore year because I hadn't grown. Yeah. You know what I mean? I had stayed like I, six foot. I, oh height you're talking about height wise, okay. Exactly, yeah. height wise, body wise, because you know, if I was gonna be a D lineman I needed to be like probably like six three. Yeah. At the very two, least. Two eighty, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, so I didn't really grow. Um, so my junior year is when I started playing linebacker and then, um, my senior year, I actually, my junior year, I played D line and linebacker. So I used to switch me back and forth. Mm -hmm. Senior year is when I started just strictly playing linebacker. Yeah. And then I've been a linebacker ever since. Man. And then, uh, and you talk, you talk brief, briefly about, uh, looks and, and, and in the recruitment process. Talk about that. Um, you start, you, you started getting looks as early as sophomore year before, a little bit before that or. Yeah, after my sophomore season. After sophomore season, okay. Yeah, okay. I started getting looks. Um, but like I said, they were mostly for D-line. Yeah. Um, but I was getting letters from everybody. Yeah. Um, junior year was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I was my defensive player of the year for my section. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything was going good. But when it came time to, like, scholarship offers, I never – I didn't really get that many scholarship offers. Yeah, you know? yeah. Everybody liked me or wanted me to walk on. Walk on yeah. Or teams would tell me, like Stanford told me, that they don't recruit my area. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it was tough for me because yeah. um, I always felt like I could play. Um, but I guess the scholarships weren't really matching up. So my, um, I ended up getting an offer from Sacramento State, mm-hmm. uh, Hawaii, um, and then, like, some other D1AA schools back east. Yeah. Um, and I chose Sacramento State. Um, I just wanted to stay close to home. I feel like Hawaii was too far. Yeah. Um, I could only come home like two times a year. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, but it was definitely like a tough process feeling like you weren't going to be able to play football anymore. You had nowhere to go. Hmm. Um, so that's why I'm thankful for Sac State. Um, I know it wasn't the biggest school, but I feel like it was perfect for me. And I'm here, so it don't matter. Yeah. And uh, we talked uh, we talked briefly off the air uh, yesterday about you being clear on what you wanted to do and what you were going to do and some of the uh some of the naysayers and the pushback and it and 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 being being able to identify that it wasn't personal it was just their own them projecting their own self-doubt or whatever um what 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 did you hold on to through all through all of that, through through not growing, changing position, um, through not through not being recruited as as actively, and and then you know, and then choosing a smaller school, what what were you holding on to? That was like, nah, this you know, this is just another stepping stone. You know, what was what do you do? You, can you can you even say at this point? Have you processed that yet? Yeah, I would say God, man, faith, man. Um, you know, without him, I wouldn't be here. So, yeah. um, I feel like everybody's story is different. Yeah, you know what I mean. Everybody's not gonna be the number one drafted player in the NFL. You yeah. can't. Yeah. Um. So I felt like when it was my time to go to Sacramento State, my my story was just a little different. Yeah. When you know when they do an E60 on me, it's just gonna <laughs> be a little longer than everybody else. You feel me? <laughs> um. But you know, um, that's what I really held held on to, and uh, yeah. you know, my parents were definitely there for me the whole time. Um, strong influences in my whole life. Yeah. And then they weren't going to let me quit. They weren't going to let me stop. Um, you know, I, I, I say it was just that. I, I will say having, having, cause I had spent time with pops before, but having now spent time with your mom too, I can definitely see that cause they're supportive in a, in a, in a, in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't feel you know because there's that there's that fine line where it almost feels like it's forced and it's like nah we just got we just gonna hold him down and whatever he wants to do and if this is what he wants to do we're gonna hold him down to the fullest you know mm-hmm. and that's really important too because i don't know i don't know how prevalent that is for for 
for the youth as a whole, but specifically for kids of color to have that amount of support, you know, where you have a dream. Because there's so many people projecting their, you know, their fears or their failures onto their kids and they don't even realize it, you know. Um, but for you to have that support, because rightfully so at any given point, Todd, that you could have gone, yo, this is a wash, but mm-hmm. you didn't. And to be vindicated and like, yo, I'm not crazy. I I have all the attributes. I'm 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 this and, and to be here, how do you um cause we talked about we talked about, about Kanye and I think I think one of the parts we didn't talk about it. A lot of people aren't talking about is. Do you remember the outro to College Dropout where he's telling the story of every label turning him down and having to move and all that stuff? Yeah, I think a part of all of this is that a lot of people telling him no and that he can't, and then him essentially proving everyone wrong. And so there is a there is a fu part operating in all of this that no one's talking about. Yes, you. In a similar sense, <laughs> could, could be standing on the top of the table somewhere being like, I told y'all, I told y'all, but you, you aren't, and you've actually, you've actually turned your focus up and your work ethic up even more, which is crazy to think about. How do you, what, what is it in you and how do you keep, keep finding more, you know, to keep pushing harder? Um... I just feel like for myself, I'm not uh, where I want to be yet. Hmm. You know, it uh, it may feel good to be in the NFL, but that's not enough. I haven't made the Pro Bowl. Yeah, you know, and once I make the Pro Bowl, I haven't made another one, or I haven't made the Hall of Fame. Like, yeah. I still haven't reached so many goals. Yeah, I just had, I've just got a little taste of you know the beginning. Exactly. So I think once I got that taste, my hunger is growing, knowing that you know. I already knew I would be here, but once I'm already once I'm here, like I know that I can be a Hall of Fame player. Yeah. Uh, because really, if you look at my story, you look at my college, you look at my uh, undrafted situation. Yeah. You look at how many times I was cut from the Saints. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be. Not supposed to be. Here. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I knew I would be here. <laughs> so now that I'm really here and God's blessing me to do what I'm doing, like. I'm hungry, man. <laughs> we talk, but let's go. Let's go back to that. So, college, you ball out, and but but balling out on that level can almost go unseen. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about that. Do you remember those days of like, damn, I'm I'm going to work and not no one knows. Yeah, for sure. I yeah. mean, um, I felt like I was playing really good football. Yeah. Uh, like all American, I was all American. Um, just playing really good ball, just yeah. um, doing my job, making big plays, interceptions, um, all the stuff that I felt like um, you knew you were capable of. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I was doing it, yeah. um, but at the same time, I felt like I wasn't getting my shot, even when it was time uh, to go to the combine. I felt like I earned a combine invite. Exactly. Um, but of course, I didn't get it. Um, and um, I ended up just doing the pro day, but it definitely is tough when you feel like you're working your butt off and you feel like nobody sees it. Yeah. Especially in a sport where you need somebody to see you, you in order someone. for you to get your shot. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it was, it was tough, but, you know, it can't stop. What, um, and then, because now we're getting into the business aspect of it. Uh, that, 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 that pro day is, is it's vital. And especially when you talk about mid-major schools, and to be an All-American, and to not, and to not get a look, um, was there was there any any level of anger, bitterness operating even a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I was frustrated. Yeah, I felt like it was high school. Senior year all over again. Yeah, yeah, I felt like it was Stanford saying we don't recruit your area. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think was that, that the Harbaugh days? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because I played them my first college game. I played Stanford, hmm. <laughs> which is crazy how everything works out. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it was just a tough situation. Um, and actually, my pro day, 
I think operating out of that anger, I think I pushed myself too much. Mm. I remember being out there the day before my pro day running sprints, like wow. full speed. Wow. Just because like, I'm going to be great tomorrow. And then I come out the next day and just was poo. Oh, like, man. Ran slow. I uh, was tired. My body was tired because I had been working it like crazy You'd for been that pushing day. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was doing too much. Yeah. Uh, so that day was actually a bad day for me. Mm. And I went home feeling terrible. Like I really, okay, like not only did I go to a small school, I told them I can do this, this, and this. And I come out and I don't do that. Yeah. Um, I'm really, you know, not about to make it. Yeah. But thank, thank to God, I got a call from the Saints that uh, changed everything. After, after the draft. Yep. After oh. the draft. And what do, you, do you remember that? How, how was it through agent? Was it direct? How did, how did, it, how did that happen? Can you tell us that story? Yeah. So my agent called me. Talking, so, talking to me. Yeah. During the, uh, during the whole, uh, draft, um, my agent was telling me that there was a possibility that I can go like fifth, sixth, or seventh round. Mm. Um, and just be waiting by the phone, just be ready for it. So fifth round comes, no call. Sixth round comes, there's no call. And then seventh round, same thing. Um, so, you know, I'm just devastated. Yeah. You know, I didn't get drafted. Um, you know, it's tough. But um, I think a day after the draft, um, my agent calls me and he tells me um, that the Saints want me to sign a free agent and deal with them. Um, and then he actually calls me like 10 minutes later and there's like five other teams that want to sign me to like a free agent deal. Wow. But I went with the Saints because I feel like if you were the first one to call then you wanted me more than it, yeah. everybody else, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, so I'll end up going to the Saints. You can pull that out and hold it so you don't have to be big. I ended up going to the Saints and I think it was a perfect situation for me. Um, I think that everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And I think it was a, definitely a blessed situation. And and how, how many uh, – and you, you report to camp with the Saints that year. And what was that feeling like? Um, I actually reported – I actually went to, to the Saints mm -hmm. after they called me, and they have what is uh, called a rookie minicamp. Yeah. So that's where the rookies report. Um, we go through some training. We learn, like, maybe, like, four or five calls out the playbook, and we try to execute them. Um, so I'll go up there for for that. And after three days of rookie minicamp, you're supposed to stay down there, train with the team and everything. After the third day, um, my linebacker coach calls me into his office like, hey, man, we really like you, but we don't have a spot for you. Wow. Like we brought, you know, they bring extra players in just for space sometimes, yeah. like yeah. just so they have enough to do 11 on 11 more than one group, yeah. you know, so they're not just wearing out their draft picks and all that. Yeah. So he bring me in his office. He's like, we don't really have a spot for you. You know what I mean? He said, but I'm going to find a way to get you on this team. So I actually go back home yeah. for like a month and just I'm just training, working, while all the other rookies around the NFL are with their teams, yeah. whether they were free agents or they were signed. Like, um, I really didn't even have a spot, yeah. even though they wanted to sign me. So after a month, he called me. He said, I remember what I told you. I promise you I'll get you a spot. <laughs> and uh, he – he had a spot for me, and I reported day one of training camp. Wow. Yep. What um, cause you I I I feel like everybody has an advocate on the inside that's fighting for them that believes that it, that either relates to your story or sees themselves in you or is like all of y'all crazy. This dude is special. Um, do you remember that that coach's name? Yeah, I do. Oh, dang. I got it. <laughs> dang, I'm drawing a blank right now. But he was a really good guy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Joe Vitt. Okay. Yeah, okay. Joe Vitt. And he had been in the league for years. When I got there, he was probably like 65. Wow. Yeah. So he was he, – he knew what he saw. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And he had been in the league uh, for years and um, even – I, and I think he's still advocating for me because he stopped coaching and is now like a um, uh, a rep. Oh, rep. Okay. For other teams. Okay. Like um, he just gives them um, assistance or or gives them. I'm drawing. He's a, a consultant right now. and exactly okay. consultant for other teams. Okay. And um, even even this year when my contract was up. Um, the team he's consulting for now was one of the big pushers to get me. Wow. So I feel like even like even now he's still advocating for me. That's awesome. Um, you know, even in the league. That's incredible, man. Yeah, um, it's crazy. And you report day one. What uh that that call what was it feeling like? tell me talk to really give me the real, like that 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 <laughs> feeling because as a you know, as 
I myself have have really really big dreams and and not not even dreams big goals mm-hmm. and there's not there might be you, you talk about you know you go through your phone log or your Instagram followers or your friends on Facebook it may say you got a few thousand but in all actuality of people I can confide in about those goals shit might be two mm-hmm. you feel me it's not a lot yeah so a lot of things I end up internalizing yeah. and I imagine there was a lot you were internalizing. So that phone call, like, yo, we report day one. Do you, like, what was happening emotionally and, and, and everything? Um, or were you so scorned by that point? You like, man, whatever, you know, like that. Cause that, that's the thing too. No, I was, uh, I was just ready to work. Yeah. Um, I know I had been working harder than everybody else. Yeah. Um, I just felt like, Everything I was doing, once he told me he had a spot for me, um, I just went to work yeah. like crazy. Yeah. Um, so I knew that no other linebacker, whether it was on the states or in the league, was working like I was working. Exactly. So once he gave me that call, I was like, all right, it's my time to shine. Like, they're not ready for what I'm about to bring. Man. Um, and then even when I report, man, it was still tough. I was wearing number 95 as an inside linebacker. <laughs> so you know I wasn't supposed to make the team. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. They didn't have a number for me. Um it was just it was it was uh it was real. Yeah. A lot of a lot of long days, a lot of staying after and um studying more because the, the guys that were there had had the playbook after the rookie mini camp. They had it. The they, had jump. they had a jump. Yeah. Exactly. So they had it for a month before I even got it. Yeah. And they had other linebackers there that they drafted that year. Wow. Um so, you know, I was a month behind everybody else. So I was trying to work harder than everybody else studied more than everybody else yeah um because i was already in the position where i'm not technically technically supposed to make the team yeah um so i think that pushed me and fueled me even more like okay number 95 okay (laughs) (laughs) let's go (laughs) and then uh and your stint with the saints um like you said everything happens for a reason you know and how much of that really set the foundation for the the man and the the husband and the 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 father and the player that you are today a lot um, i think the saints it really taught me um to keep working no matter what it may look like or how it may seem yeah. um because i was cut by the saints like three times and um every time i was cut i would continue to work yeah. continue to work out um hoping that I would get a call back, and I did, yeah. you know, each time. And I think that taught me how, even when it looks dark, continue to do what you're doing, continue to focus, continue to uh, strive for greatness, because as soon as you get your opportunity again, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. Yeah. You know, if I had taken a break or not, or not uh, continued to work when I got cut, when I got a call, I wouldn't have been ready. Yeah. You know what I mean? Then it could have been the end of my career. So yeah. it just taught me to continue to work no matter what. Uh, your circumstance looks like wow and uh and then how does how do you how do you land in denver okay so i um i got cut by the saints uh three times and every time they cut me they brought me back so what happens with um when you're on the active roster i mean you get cut you the team can't like reclaim you for a day Uh so they would cut me to put me back on practice squad because we kept losing um running back so they had to keep bringing a running back on the team which caused me to get cut because they could only have so many players on the roster so they would cut me send me like to a hotel for a day and then they would bring me back um the next like after a day Mm -hmm. so the fourth time i got cut um they had all been always brought me back and it kind of became like routine Routine, like (laughs) Like, we're just bringing you back and (laughs) and so this time you're actually not supposed to be in the building when they cut you. Yeah. But this time they cut me and they had me still going to linebacker meetings yeah. and defensive meetings just because they knew they were going to bring me back. Yeah. So um, I was in linebacker meetings. I had to turn my phone off. But the day they cut me, so the day they couldn't pick me up is the day the Broncos or anybody else around the league can, like, claim yeah. me. So I was in I was in meetings, um, you know, just taking notes. Um, I see a coach run in. And grabbed my linebacker coach and they both like sprint out the room. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Something yeah. just told me to uh, open my phone. So I turned my phone on. I had like 27 missed calls from like a Denver number. 
Um, so I go outside. I call them, like, and they tell me they had claimed me. Um, and I was going to be a Denver Bronco. They were playing the uh, the um, the St. Louis Rams, and they wanted me to meet them in St. Louis. Wow. Um, and it was just a crazy, crazy uh, change of events <laughs> from sitting in the meeting room to being on another team. Like, it's crazy. Man, the uh, just the optics. Like, I'm picturing – picturing two coaches just like <laughs> scrambling like like panicking yeah like, they were going nuts oh man um and then because that because is that the is that how many years is that before the the super bowl uh two years two years before yep and the saints actually weren't doing well at the time mm-hmm. i think uh we were like I don't know what our record is. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. And the Broncos had Peyton Manning. Yeah. About to go to the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, I was ready to go. <laughs> Man, so you you land there and it's a it's a situation already. Like you you know you know what you're walking into. Um was it was it immediate like yo, we gotta get you on the field immediately or was it did it take time? Um, no, it didn't really take too much time. I um I came over there, um they had lost their starting linebacker. Um, so they had um, Brandon Marshall playing, okay. and then they had uh, one more linebacker playing next to him. Okay. Um, and then I was primarily primarily playing on special teams. Okay. And then a week after I got there, the other linebacker goes down. Oh wow! And so within two weeks of being there, I was starting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, but see, go back to your point of like, just stay stay ready, and you don't have to get ready. Exactly. You know, like that. That's impressive because, and I and I do think to tie it all together, the thing that separates, you know, successful people is, you know, like even when the chips are down, like I still gotta work, like I still gotta work, like tomorrow is the day that I'll be starting in the game, you know, and I don't know how many people are are wired to to work without that foresight, but you talked about your faith and. The, the 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 most important part about faith and and spirituality that's often lost is that people want to be you know they want uh what's that that gratification immediately and faith doesn't work like that no nope. you know um and but you but and um but I am glad that you started there and he's like yo my my faith in my faith in God and you know you you but you you still saw fit to do your part of the work um damn man i didn't know i didn't know all that that's that's that's, <laughs> incre- that's incredible and, yeah um and it's it I, I i think it's it's inspiring to know that that great people that do their part of the work and prepare you do get rewarded because i do think there's this this strange ass thing going around where people are just landing on well man i didn't i didn't get my shot did you can you honestly look yourself in the mirror and say you did the work and the people that can i feel like do get rewarded even if it's not in the way that they thought that prayer was going to be answered mm-hmm. they, they do get a they do get their break yep. you know yeah um yeah i feel like um i feel like with that saying that says uh, uh work like everything depends on you and then pray like everything depends on god huh um, I feel like that's the realest saying there is. Yeah. Uh, the Bible says faith without works is dead. You, you know. I mean, you can pray all you want, but if you're not working, <laughs> like, tell God you want your credit right, but you, you know, you taking doing. out bad loans and yeah. spending all your money. Yeah. What, what are you doing, man? Um. So I feel like. I feel like work is. I feel like work is ninety percent of it, man. Yeah. Even I feel like people who aren't spiritual or, or don't do stuff biblically um their work ethic and work habits are biblical yeah so i feel like god blesses them because of that exactly and they don't even know they don't even know you yeah, know what i mean yeah, yeah so i feel like you got to do the work if you're not willing to do the work you at a loss definitely man um i, I, I know we've been talking for dumbass long but this, <laughs> this is fascinating i guess the the last thing i really really wanted to get to um are a couple things uh, everything around super bowl mania and then becoming a champ, like, can you talk about that feeling? Yeah, um, the Super Bowl was amazing. Yeah, um, you know, from my whole uh, situation and my whole uh, 
journey. Yeah. Um, it was a great uh, high point in my journey. Yeah. Um, I was even chosen as a captain for the Super Bowl. Damn. Damn. <laughs> Just coming from being undrafted to captain the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a crazy story. Is um, that by the coaches or by the team again? I think this one was by – I think about the team again. Okay. Because I think we voted at the beginning of the year for, for – uh, uh, captains, and then halfway through the year, they vote again to add like one player to um, offense, defense, and special teams. They okay. add like you know, yeah. and so um, I was voted um, as a captain for the Super Bowl, and that was amazing. But yeah. um, the way I work is we won the Super Bowl, but I didn't play my best game, yeah. so I was actually mad. I really wasn't. I mean, I was <laughs> celebrating, <laughs> but I was hot. Um, I didn't want to watch film. I didn't yeah. want to look at it. Yeah. Um, I didn't play my best game, and that's all I was focused on. I mean, Super Bowl is amazing, and I was blessed to have the honor. But but you like nah? But I was hot. I can't lie. I didn't play the way I oh, needed to play. That's, that's I was my, hot. Oh my gosh, that is. Uh, I'm telling you, man. Successful people, y'all. Some sick people, man. Some <laughs> sick individuals in the Super Bowl talking about nah, I didn't play good enough. That, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, obviously. But that is true. Like the, the work just is never done. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's fascinating, man. Uh, and then, then where I wanted to, where I wanted to start to land at was, uh, was the new contract and. And what that means for you coming from being undrafted, uh, and and uh, what it means for your life beyond the gridiron, because you're you're big in that, you're big on that. You talk about it, and but uh, but you're you're clear you're clear on the steps that you need to take and the things you need to accomplish to get to you know from point A to all the way through. How what what did that day mean to you? Um, that day was a that was a big day for me. Yeah, um, it was exciting for me, um, and I think it was exactly what um, I needed. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say it was exactly what I wanted, huh. but it was exactly what I needed. Yeah, um, I think if you look at the terms of my deal for the three years, um, it's a really really great deal. Yeah, and with three years, I'll be twenty eight years old. Yeah. And I'll still be able to secure another deal. Yeah. So all I have to do is play great for really two years because there's an option, option. in my deal. Exactly. And then be great. Yeah. Um, I think that was the perfect thing for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think everything worked out good. It was a crazy, crazy day. Mm-hmm. Um, just being able to fly my parents out and then be <laughs> able to uh, be at the signing with me because you know I didn't get that day coming out of college. I didn't get that day exactly going into high, going into college. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, so being able to share that with uh, Zena and uh, my family that was a really big day for me. Man, uh, um, I, I am glad I got to sit down with you. Um, I, I started I started the show, you know, as another way to really track my own personal journey and people that I encounter and uh people that I might I, I I sort of pull inspiration from and uh both Zena and Antea uh are there were cousins like we're but we were how how close our family was and still is today we were more so raised like siblings so they were always like big sisters but they were the they were the smart really really cool big sisters you mm-hmm. know but they mm-hmm. um but they'll be the first to tell you the amount of structure uh, that they come from probably annoyed the shit out of them. But it it it, uh, it, it really, really did them both well. Um, and as they, you know, as they have grown in a, in a successful women, too, um, I've still found myself really, really looking to them for guidance and inspiration and 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 uh, and, and always knew um that the life choices that they'd make would would be outstanding and so when when you two joined in union i couldn't have been happy cuz she just she was just happy mm-hmm. you know um she was she's really really happy because she felt she felt like she found a uh an equal in a way that was you know going to push her to bring to 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 go even harder which is which is which is mind-blowing to think about because she had already accomplished so much um 
what I said all that to say, uh, if you don't mind talking about it, because then it's personal, but um, familyhood and 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 joining a union, being a husband, and being a father, um, how much has that changed you and impacted your you know your drive and and made you turn up even more, you know? Yeah, um, family is huge for me. Yeah, I come from a big family. Um, everybody, I'm used to come over our house all the time. Yeah. Family members stay with us probably my whole life, <laughs> um, but family is huge for me. Yeah, um, I think once I got married, it let me realize uh, I'm not I'm not living this life for just me mm. anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got a wife to take care of, kids to take care of, um, and I got to do this for them. Yeah, uh, the Bible says you got a a father's job is to leave a heritage for his children's children. Huh. Huh. So if I'm not stacking bread for them, I'm you know I'm doing something doing? wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think they definitely uh, push me every day. Yeah. Um, I think thinking about them while I work out, or if I don't feel like doing another set or another rep, um, I gotta I always remember that you know this rep may not even be for me; it's for them. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know it's definitely been fun. <laughs> you definitely don't get to make any decisions by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Every decision is a team decision. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I love it. Um, I think it's been fun. And I think I think life is what you make it. You know. I feel like um, marriage is what you make it. Yeah. Um, if you want to have a fun, excited marriage and travel the world and um, really enjoy your mate, then that's what that's what it is. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So that's how I feel like my our, our marriage is going. Um, it's fun. Uh, it's exciting. Um, and just being with a partner, I feel like she balances me out so well. Yeah. I feel like, you know, um, she's great. I feel like, you know, if I decide to run for president or something, she would be an awesome first lady. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. She has all those co- all those qualities, yeah. those Michelle Obama qualities, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, oh, man. And uh, it's, yeah, I love it. Man, I, uh, well, Todd, I, I thank you. Thank you for being, for sitting down and doing this. Man. Most definitely. And for bringing me to Dallas, because this is crazy. <laughs> we got to get out the hotel, though. We're not right now. <laughs> and that was my conversation with Todd Davis. This is Meet the Brave, and I'm your host, Monty Draper. See you next week.